Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. Have you finally played with ChatGPT? Just with you. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you haven't actually done it yourself? No. Why? I don't know. It's too busy. I believe that with you. I, I've been, yeah, I've been a little, a little more than usual. I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my new social media. You, you, I mean, I've been, I've been very impressed of how all in you are. I'm just fascinated by it. Let, let me tell you, no, yeah, because you're, you're a little bit of a detractor on this one, I think, which is, I, which is I interesting to totally me. totally am. No, and, no I, I, and not only that, I, am, I admit it. Like, and even, it's even weird for me. I'm like, what is it about? You? What is it about? Yeah. That's actually the reaction I'm having to this one. Is but like, I think we have to parse out a number of things, though, because yeah. I agree. Well, I don't actually know. I'm not going to agree with anything until I hear what your position is, because I'm not even sure I know. But yeah, yeah, what yeah. I was about to say was, I agree that the implications of this Mm -hmm. can be very negative, right? So like, it's not necessarily my excitement. It's not not even that for me. No, well, yeah. Okay, baby. So we'll start with that. Well, so I want to know what you actually feel, but what I I want to say just at the outset Uh is my enthusiasm should not be read as an endorsement or enthusiasm for whatever the implications of this are. To me, what's fascinating about it is essentially how AI that's been around for a long time has now general AI. And by the way, there's a bunch of different definitions of artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and we can talk about those, but this is what's called, um, it's, there's two, there's two forms. There's basically uh, weak AI and mm-hmm. strong AI, also known as general intelligent action or full AI. This to my mind is a, serviceable consumer facing packaging of a strong AI technology for the first time. And mm-hmm. the reason I say that is because we've had AI for a while and Siri, all these different things, echo, um, there's right. a thousand and one apps. If you want to have do a video and have it look like your eyes are staring at the camera the entire time, there's an app for that. And it uses AI. Mm-hmm. If you want to have uh, the most incredible audio and it takes out all the times you breathe in and out and does all of this sound contouring using artificial intelligence, we've had that. But it's all been very single use kind of things, right? Mm-hmm. So what fascinates me about ChatGPT is 
the fact that it's this general sort of strong AI or relatively strong AI use use case in a very serviceable interface that allows anybody to just play around with this thing and create a wonderful recipe for, you know, Southern French food or diagnose whether or not somebody has thyroid cancer Mm -hmm. or build a social media campaign for your garage sale or a thousand other things like that to me is part of what makes this interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think all of those are reasons, opportunities, why this is a thing, very exciting technology. It is game changing. I would agree with that. Uh, But yeah, I found myself to be kind of a hater on this one, just not fully embracing it. And and if I want to take a really major step back, think about the why, why is it that what bothers me about it? It's a number of things, but let me, let me start. Let me try to as much as I can (laughs) kind of look inwards and figure out what is it about it that bothers me. One is, Look, there was, we, we've, you and I dealt with this before when, when like looking at softwares, working with vendors, um, talking about the idea of like, oh, do you want full service or self-service, right? Like there's always that kind of question when it comes to like SaaS kind of businesses, right? Many times. And my orientation has always been, if it's critical to the business, it should be self-service. If it's not critical, then full service. And what I mean by that is if something that's critical to the business, I like the idea. I want that intelligence inside the four walls of our business. You want I don't to push want that, those buttons. You I don't want, want that intelligence for you. someone. Because if there's opportunity to optimize, to learn, to apply, yeah. then I want that to happen here. I don't want the vendor to get smarter about how to use their own platforms or and with my money as a as a as a client. I want my people, the the team. And I think in this case, there's some of that I think that is going on that bothers me is like the outsourcing thought is, which is different than, than simply what has been historically about search because the, the one that I'm probably most familiar with is like the replacement of think about chat. I think of chat GPT more like in the context of search, right? It's like one of the few And cases. so does Google, by the way, they agree yeah, with you for sure. Right. So I think that's a really, really big one. Uh, and there's an aspect. So that's one of the aspects, outsourcing uh, thought that really bothers me. Like, like even in, in my sports company, we were having this conversation around maybe using chat GPT to like create uh, stories, to create uh, um, scripts for, like, we do a lot of like video narratives, right? Around what's happened to certain player or kind of like thematics that are going around sports, right? Yeah, I, I was not for the idea because I did think about like, man, I really don't want to outsource sports knowledge. Because I feel like if our team like loses any edge of being really plugged into what's happening in the sports, yeah, like that's that. a miss for our company uh-huh. because that gets reflected in everything. It gets reflected not just in the actual content itself that gets created. I think to me is the process of actually putting together a script and having to think about, look into, write about what's happening in sport in any kind of context just continue to make you smarter and plugged into everything else that's going on. There's a lot of residual impact in my mind that I think happens. I think and, you're right. And when you outsource that, it worries me that we get less sharp, that we become more reliant on the machines getting f- smarter around sports. We're not. So how does that then turn around in terms of knowing what else to talk about? Right. What else to like be listening into? Even what though, other takes to have as it relates to it that is not around these video narratives? So that's one microcosm of, there's more, by the way. That, let's, let's start with that one. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think, and it's not truly outsourcing, but what you're saying is almost like, taking, it's like deinstitutionalizing the intelligence. In other words, right. the intelligence is not a product of our interactions in the office, our conversations, our research. It's really um, a 
you know, you're you're sort of sending that out of the building, right? That right. that process. You're outsourcing it out, out of the building. Yeah, you're outsourcing, and I guess, but I mean, outsourcing not in the traditional sense, where somebody else has that knowledge. It's not a somebody else; it's a something else, right? Something else, yeah. But it's still yeah. it's still not in the building. Is my is my point? And it helps you. The indirect benefits are all the things you talked about, right? It helps build culture and all these other different things. That is, yeah, an important point. And I, so far, I agree. So with that's you. one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me give you the second one that <laughs> that I think has been bothering me. Uh, and I, oh, let's stick with ChatGPT as it relates to like search search type of applications, right? So the other one that we were looking at the other day is that this idea that um, you are able to put together a question, a complex question, and then poof, out comes out an answer. And it's not a variety of answers. It's not like, oh, here are three ways to think about this. Here's five ways to think about this. No, no, no. Here is the answer. And this idea of the answer and then what I and right now at least it seems like a limitation of the platform that is not it doesn't do a good job of then sourcing where that answer came from or being like hey just in case you want to dig in more learn more find out where like why we're suggesting what we're suggesting there is this this kind so I have to like either a literally trust what this answer came out the singular answer or b then turn around and do what I would have normally done anyways to go research a bunch of different options of data and they're like oh is what this output saying actually factually true do i agree with with the outcome i don't know enough about how, I, how, how it works so but wouldn't it be i have a hard time uh, just practically for me personally for sure you have i have a hard, hard time, time trusting that any single source of data is the, the truth right but what i'm I, I don't know enough about how this would work to say to, to even understand if my question isn't in, is intelligent so we'd have to ask chat gpt if it is but um <laughs> we should ask what you think what if there's a trillion sources because the whole point yeah, that... Yeah, there, and there could be. You're right, you're right. Because there, that's part of the, the, that, that the, is the, part the of magic, it. right? But, but the, I think there is a, a balancing act between a trillion sources and also like, oh, here are the top most trusted sources where a lot of this came from. Yeah, because I agree with you. There could be, I mean, it could, I don't know how much is actually, how much data yeah. is actually indexing. It could be a whole lot. Now, interestingly, you could actually ask it to synthesize all of the most common or the most generally regarded right. or the most whatever, the highest cert- certification available for a given question and only give you that sort of yeah, response. Maybe, maybe that's the follow-up question, which is like, oh, yeah, I want to know what are your top sources of this. I want you to tell me what are all the the points of view or answers that would actually contradict what you're saying. You're right. I mean, maybe I haven't thought about it more of a, like a full-on conversation, but that could be... That could be an interesting way to approach it. The other thing, that and you that, I up- think that's a big that for, out of out of everything. That's probably at least in, in the search side, right? Is one that gives me a lot of pause. Like it, it just, I don't work well with single source of data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though I mean, I get single source being ChatGPT, not the sources behind it, right? Co- who correct. Knows what yeah, those yeah, are. yeah, yeah. The other thing that you mentioned that I think is really interesting is it does matter how you ask the query. Mm. It makes a difference, right? You I, almost I have to totally f- see that. You, you, like if you just do, I mean, it, it can read between the lines. And if you just write, you know, I don't know, whatever, some random thing, like give me a song like Tupac, it would, it would infer you want me to write a song in the style or voice of Tupac right, Shakur. Right. But the more nuanced you are about the question and the more logical you are mm-hmm. about the question, right? The, the more, the, the deeper response you'll get. Cause I've actually tested this in a number Uh of different, you know, uh, instances. So the way that you input, there's a, there's a little bit of an, I don't know if that goes away over time, but there's a little bit of an art 
in how you actually query this thing to get things that are more valuable coming out. The other thing is I have checked now use case of one, but I've checked like against Google. You know, I asked like, for instance, I, th I think you were in the office when I did this about, um, you know, what, uh, give me a sort of 10 step process for, uh, treating cervical cancer or no diagnosing cervical mm -hmm, cancer. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a sort of breakdown. So I checked that against like AMA and JAMA and some of these other things. And I mean, maybe it's not exactly that way, but the, yeah. but the fundamental steps were there of how you would conduct a medical diagnosis sure. leading to yeah, yeah. cervical cancer. Yeah. Um, but, but there is some like, you know, art in how you do this. The thing that we haven't talked about, which I think is kind of important to mention though, and you know, I don't know if this goes into your sort of, you know, reasons why you're not a fan, but the way that this has kind of broken through into the consciousness is something that I don't know that I've ever experienced mm -hmm. in the shorter period of time as well. Yeah, it's, it's revolutionary. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. Because we're talking about this thing and just some history for those who may not know, this goes back to um, 2015 Mm -hmm. where OpenAI was essentially like a think tank, right? It was funded by a variety of people. Elon Musk was involved, Sam Altman, who's the current CEO, Peter Thiel. There was a number of different people, all of them very big movers mm -hmm. and shakers in Silicon Valley. But it was really kind of a think tank. It's like, what's the greatest next be best thing? Mm -hmm. What's the new wheel? What's the new internet? Like, stop being iterative. Let's invent something that's truly groundbreaking. So it was in that context. And it's been kicking around for quite a while. But it really wasn't until like, December, right? Where this mm -hmm. thing became an open beta basically to the world. And then suddenly, literally in a matter of weeks, you're hearing late night hosts talk about it. It's on every social media right. conversation. People are talking about the ways that they're using it. The stories about the kid cheating on his test. The oh, new sure. business is being born out of it. The, 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 now the latest thing I've seen two stories today about the new apps that are being developed to detect whether or not, uh, AI actually created the thing that you're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. All of that in weeks, Jesus. Right. right weeks. Right. Well, yeah. D do you know, um, uh, August 29th, 1997, 2.14 AM. Does that, does that time and date re resonate anything to you? 1997? Yes, August 29th, 2014. Well, let's see. I was a sophomore in college. Um, no, I don't know. Well, what's the significance? That's the, the birth that's, of AI? No, that's the the time, the exact time and date when Skynet became self-aware. Oh, nice. Terminator. Beautiful. That's what we're, I think there's yeah. like a, there's an aspect that I feel like we're dealing with that right now. Well, and we haven't even gotten into the kind of ethical um, you know, situation. What what it, it, it does create, though, to your point, what you just said, it creates all of these. It's like a birth of an ecosystem. It's a birth of all these different businesses. Yeah. I mean, frankly, we've been talking about metaverse. Metaverse is a complete fail failure as far as I'm concerned relative to this. Yeah, me too. Like everyone's still talking about people were buying land, air quotes, double air quotes, on a meta metaverse. The billions of dollars that Facebook has spent on metaverse, and you still have nothing to show for it. You had all of these like crypto bros left and right about NFTs, NFT of this, NFT of that spending millions of dollars on made-up art that had no real value behind it. That was a big bubble and bust. I think this is not that. Like, this is a, this is a, I, I do think it's a game changer. I think we, we won't even begin to fully understand all the ways it's going to change the way that creativity is done, that work is done, 
that search, and I think changing search is, has a massive impact because search has changed the trajectory, I think, of our technology and the way that we learn. 100%. I mean, going back to what you're saying, like, you know, I remember way back in the day, I always joke about this. When I told people that one of my biggest clients, when I first started working, I was in the technology group at Accenture, was with Netscape. And whenever I get that blank stare from people, like, oh, I kind of figure out, I can figure out pretty quickly kind of what age, you know, what generation you are. And if for those that listen to that, that, that remember the, the name Netscape, that was one of the biggest, maybe not the biggest, but one of the yeah, biggest. but it was back in the Prodigy one days. One of the biggest search CompuServe, engines. CompuServe, right? It was one stuff. of the biggest search engines, right? So it was revolutionary at the time, what, what search was doing, because it started as listing, right? And the moment you started to be able to ask questions, even what you just said right now about asking the right question in ChatGPT, that was a big thing in search before, right? Where you're like, if you could just ask the right kind, the right kind of keywords, then you get a much better answer. And now it's gone so good at just natural language processing, right? You just basically ask a random question. I mean, frankly, my daughter, the way she uses search, she just talks to it. She just put, puts, she's like, she doesn't even type it anymore. She's like, just, just, yeah. and I don't do that. I never you do that. Yeah. I always type it out. And it's like, it, it cracks me up. I'm like, yeah, she just like bypass that stage. You're like, I do both. I can just, I can mm-hmm. just talk to it and it'll tell me what it is. And I just think that's hilarious, right? Um, but but I but it, but if you think about the impact that search had, that Google frankly had, and the trajectory around technology and education, where I think those two are really intersect with each other, I think ChatGPT can be that. And I do think that ChatGPT is one of those brands that will be the prodigy Netscape of this sort of AI revolution. I don't think you're gonna. This one is not one you forget or right. you unring. Now, what it evolves to or does, who knows? But I do think we're at the sort of cusp of that. Of that moment. Now, everything that what, we, what are your yeah. thoughts about the more artistic side of the equation, though? Like, in terms, it's one thing, because I think we've been talking a lot about search mm-hmm. and everything kind of or search text. related. Text, search yeah. related, text related, but around processing like, you know, millions and millions of billions of data points and giving you like one condensed, summarized answer. But what about creating art? Yeah. Uh, sort of taking over creativity to an extent based on some of the, the AI sort of tools that are out there. Well, OpenAI, the company that has ChatGPT, also has another product called Dali. And I figured out that they're probably trying to pronounce like the artist Salvador Dali, but it's spelled D-A-L-L-E. Um, and it's basically ChatGPT for images, mm. right? So your query can be, you know, make a um, pointillism sketch of a chihuahua surfing a giant swell in, you know, Fiji holding a beer and doing whatever. And it'll spill, spit out not just one, but a dozen variations of that in the pointillism style. Mm-hmm. Now I've, I've also played around with that and I'm less impressed, even though I'm, maybe the technology is more impressive. Cause I, I don't know, what do I know about this? But I'm less impressed with that in terms of the quality of what comes back. Mm-hmm. than I am with the text-based what, what, what is it about it that doesn't impress you? It it doesn't look... Um, the thing with art is that art on some level is a reflection of the artist. There's a, there's, there's a an echo of the artist in it. You can see some of the creative genius in it. Mm-hmm. A lot of this seems very hollow to me. It does what you asked it to do, mm-hmm. but it, it's kind of hard to explain. It looks kind of pieced together a little bit cut and paste is the wrong way to do it because it's not cut and paste, but it doesn't seem organic. It seems fake, right? Mm. When you ask for a diagnosis for cervical cancer, you don't have that layer of authenticity necessarily to contend with, right? 
So it's easier for me to spot it. Now, of course, you could show me 100 images and I couldn't pick out the one that was AI. But just in the queries that I've done, it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel as genuine or authentic as, mm-hmm. as maybe it needs to for art to be passed off that way. What it is good for is like uh, marketing art, right? You want a great social media template. You want something you're going to put on Instagram. Okay, great. But something you'd hang in your living room, that's where it's, in my opinion, not there yet, or maybe ever will right. be. And there's something mystical about that. I don't know that it's like ones and zeros. There's something about an artist that or, or a piece of art that reflects the artist. And it's just that part you can't see. Have you played with that with Dali? No, I'm not. Yeah. That you, it's worth looking at because it has this kind of creepy sort of um, vibe to it. It looks, I don't, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it doesn't feel human. It feels mm. artificial. I mean, it, it it's was like sweet and low. Yeah. You know what I mean? It feel it's sweet. Right. You know, but it's just, it's something weird about it. It's like saccharin. I don't know. It's like that. That's interesting. Um, I mean, if, going back to writing, right? Remember the first time we, we talked about this, there was an article, I forgot who it was, the Atlantic, maybe the one that wrote about it. Mm-hmm. And I was telling you that I was like speed reading through like the, the article and all of a sudden there was a chapter that was just weird. I was like, like, wait, what was that? Like, it just threw me off and I went back and reread it. And then sure enough, the second I kind of kept running, reading Realize I say like, oh, that question or that par- paragraph is actually reading like written by by ChatGPT. I'm sure I'm not sure if it was ChatGPT. It was it was AI, but I'm not sure what they. No, used that was for the that. Atlantic article. The Atlantic, from, yeah, yeah, from December. By the way, you'll find this really interesting. So yeah. I, I actually logged into ChatGPT as 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 you were saying, as you were speaking, and I uh, I asked it a couple of questions. Right. So one is, what is the big lim- What are the biggest? What are some of the biggest limitations of ChatGPT? Mm-hmm. Right. And it and this is where it responded. Contextual understanding, right? ChatGPT does not have the ability to understand or retain context across multiple turns in the conversation, leading to inconsistencies in responses. Okay. Bias, as within the AI model, has been trained on human-generated text data. ChatGPT can also reflect biases in the data. Mm. Factual inaccuracies, while ChatGPT has been trained on a large corpus of text, it may still provide inaccurate or misleading information. And that's been one of the, the knocks that it still gets. Um, I, was just, yeah, I was looking at uh, Wikipedia and they were talking about that. That's um, no different than search, though. You just you're just the one who gets to decide. Yeah, the, but the, but the 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 problem right, but the problem in the difference. This is where I go back to what are your sources. At least in search, right, I usually get multiple options, so I can see easier kind of cross reference things to some extent, right? Uh, there's also generational bias, right? It's been trained a specific subset of the internet, um, and limitation on training data, data, right? And I also ask the question, okay, fine. What categories of questions is ChatGPT the worst at responding? Mm. I thought that was an interesting one. One is abstract concepts, questions that require deep understanding of abstract concepts, such as philosophy, ethics, metaphysics, maybe challenging. Mm-hmm. Scientific knowledge. Interesting, I didn't mention religion. That's, that's very interesting, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I, guess it's, I guess it's good at answering religion, religious questions. No, I've asked it some. Uh, scientific knowledge, while ChatGPT has been trained on a large amount of scientific information, it may still struggle with questions that require a deep understanding of specific scientific, con- scientific concepts or theories. Uh, contextual understanding, that's the same thing as I mentioned earlier. Sensitive topics, mm. question related to sensitive topics such as politics or social issues, may elicit bias or insensitive responses from ChatGPT. That's interesting. Oh, that ties to the other point about how it's programmed. 
The bias right. built into the programming. Novel situations. Question about new or unexpected situation that ChatGPT has not encountered before may result in appropriate or relevant responses. And that that's actually built into it because I have asked it questions about things that happened this year and its database is updated through uh, 2021. So it yeah. has no data beyond 2021 at this point. So mm. it'll answer you. It's like, I can't tell you, um, you know, what the likelihood is of that this month because my data only goes through 2021. The most interesting one of the ones that you mentioned is the contextual one. Mm-hmm. And that is true. It misses context, right? So right. this is more important if you have a conversation with it, right? Like we were talking a moment ago about the person you're interacting with that, you know, is asking you to diagnose an issue and they're really, really sick, but what they really want is an aspirin. And you're like, okay, I'll sell you the aspirin. ChatGPT will describe the aspirin, sell it to you, paint it red, yeah. do all kinds of stuff, but it won't tell you that you need something more than an aspirin. That's context, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. the part it doesn't do yet. But again, the speed, right? Mm-hmm. Is that an iteration away? Is that, you know, the, I just, when you, I don't know if you saw this when you first logged into it today, but it was like, uh, this is the, like 3.0 update or something. And I was like, okay. Oh yeah. No, I mean, the yeah. reality is, I mean, what the, the great benefit they're getting is they're getting so much volume of oh. questions and getting like at, literally dream. at bats. Right. So think of, of, think of it from that perspective, right? Every time a question gets put in, it's like, you're taking a swing and this thing like, Oh, you know what? I missed that one. You got to strike on me. But uh, I kind of saw, I saw your speed. I saw yeah. the, the, the trajectory of the ball every single time it's getting, and then it's going to be home run every single one of them. I mean, that's, that's part of the, at least the promise of what a technology like this could be. Let's talk about the 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 non kind of uh, generic implications. Mm-hmm. The kind of the stuff around what the uh, computer scientists um, call the singularity, which is your Skynet reference, right? Mm-hmm. So in um, you know computer theory and those areas, there are people, some very famous ones like Ray Kurzweil, who was you know major innovator who prognosticated a moment of singularity, which is basically Skynet has taken over, right? This thing becomes self-aware. It It's doing these at-bats, but then recognizing, oh, like not only do I know how to answer the question better, now I know maybe I move some pieces over here and something else, ha- you know, it starts to kind of get to that point of, awareness in quotes, because, you know, there's questions even about that term. Right. Even, even to the degree of thinking like, oh, based on your first two questions, I already know where this is going. Exactly. And I'm going to give you the next three that you're actually going to ask me what the real answer you're actually looking for. <laughs> Absolutely. And we have supercomputers that play chess that can do that, right? Yeah. It's like, I, I, yeah. based on the attack that you're taking, I can pretty much deduce, because yeah. I got every chess move ever played for the last hundred years, that you're going to move your rook here. Right, right, right. And so it guesses that, and not just that move, but the next 20 moves. So if you just map that out linearly, why not 20, it, it, instead of 20 moves, 2,000 moves, 2 million moves, 2 trillion moves. And then you start, like, if it starts playing against that reality, I mean. Who do you think should be feel more threatened with ChatGPT? Scientist or artist? Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Hmm. I think based on what, what I've just shared a moment ago and my own interactions with this, artists, I think, have less to worry about mm-hmm. than other professions. Um, scientists, for sure. I think the whole idea of displacement, you know, technology displacing only low education roles, I think, needs to be completely rethought. Mm-hmm. I talked about that earlier because I put up a unrelated post to this, but right. somebody said, technology does that to all the, you know, lower educated roles. I'm like, yeah, not this thing. This thing is, can displace, you know, lawyers and analysts and doctors and mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff. Right. Yeah. So, but I, I wouldn't start with art, mm-hmm. I think. 
for me. I think what's interesting about art um, is that, you know, you almost have to, there's always like this, this dynamic that happens a lot with really good artists is that they have to have a lot of pain in their life to be good. Like a lot of strife, a lot of issues that are there because only I think when you have that kind of weight on your soul, can you really like pull out the kind of creativity that is kind of required. I think that is really hard to replicate. And you may have all the color palette. You may have like the structure of how something could get put together. Yeah. Even a pretty good idea of what an output can look like, but that's maybe maybe that's the hope, right? Is that not that I'm looking for for people to have bad bad lives, but it's just like there's some there's there's something there that makes it a thing very hard, or at least harder to try to replace. It's very hard. I mean, you can even see examples of this without having to think of like Van Gogh or something. Think about like a handmade piece of furniture and mm. compare that with IKEA. Right. right now, IKEA could be a beautiful color. It could be very slick surface. It could be, you know, whatever. But there's just something about seeing a handmade piece of furniture. Even people who are not equipped in that field can notice something different. Mm-hmm. And it's not the size or the weight or anything. There's just something different about it. And that's what I referenced earlier as like a reflection of the artist or however you want to call it. Just as an, as an FYI, because I'm looking at the Wikipedia um, uh, entry on artificial intelligence uh, it, it actually measures the IQ score of previous generations of artificial intelligence. And in 2017, they conducted intelligence tests on publicly available weak AI. So things like Apple, Siri, Google's AI. And at the maximum, those technologies reached an IQ value of about 47. Right. Okay. Which corresponds approximately to a six-year-old child in first grade. An adult has about an average IQ of, of 100. In 2014, the um, IQ score has in, had increased. I don't know what the number was, but it went up. This is the Wikipedia entry does not contemplate the the same test for ChatGPT. Right. But let's just say that it's not 47, right? So if everything's linear and you can just tack on some other iteration, what's to say that it doesn't have an IQ of a thousand or a million? Sure. Well, yeah. No, I I, I agree with that, and I think that's the. That's why I want to ask you the question about who should be more concerned, right? It, it, you know, you can make an argument that maybe it, maybe it is scientists, right? Which is much more based on logic. Uh, what I think about on the art side, and it actually reminded me, remember uh, of our good friend, uh, Dave Kang? Yeah. Remember the concept he talked about, Wabi Sabi? Yeah. Right? The Which is the for those of The beauty of brokenness. You, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's a Japanese term that refers to an aesthetic, you know, an aesthetic vision of the world, which is like, is the perfect imperfection, right? The idea that because it's imperfect, that's what makes it perfect. And I think a lot of art is that. Like when you when you look at art, uh, there are some, of course, that it just looks flawless, but the, the one that I love to see is I love to see art where you can see the paintbrush strokes and some of it looks uneven and, and you can tell where they like went a little heavy. They're like, oh, I got to pull it back a little bit. Like there's something about that that I think is really, really beautiful. And I guess you could technically program for that as well. Like, oh, we have to have make sure that everything has a 0.5% error because that's what humans do. And I guess, I guess you could program for that. Do right? you remember the movie Polar Express yes. when that came out back in the day? Yeah, yeah. So that proves the principle of Wabi Sabi, which was that it was the human person has what's called bilateral symmetry. So if you draw a line from your forehead down to, mm-hmm. you know, cut you in half that way, basically, mm-hmm. that the halves are similar, but not identical. Right. So somebody's right eye is a little bit higher, a little bit bigger, yeah, a little yeah. bit smaller. 
And we are programmed to receive that as an authentic person. Uh It has that imperfection in it. Mm -hmm. Polar Express was not done with bilateral symmetry. So it was done with literally the left side of the avatar looked exactly like the right side. And people couldn't put their finger on what was weird about that. But everybody hated, not everybody, a lot of people hated that movie when it first came out. They're like, I don't know, it's something weird. This was one of the first CGI kind of movies yeah, yeah, that came out. Yeah, yeah. But that was like the reason that they that's found later. Yeah, yeah. Because you need a little bit of that imperfection. And that's another reason why I don't think, look, maybe everybody's threatened at some point with this thing. But right, I just right. don't think that's like the first one to worry right, about. Right, right, You know what I mean? It's like you need the love of imperfection. By the way, just to make another movie reference here is The Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk about The Matrix, they're like, oh, the first one failed because everything was perfect and the human mind couldn't process it. Like, it, they need, it needed some, like, they needed problems. They needed, like, <laughs> issues. They needed issues to resolve. To resolve. And I think that was, that was really interesting. We haven't even talked, which is the other kind of dark area of this, a potentially dark area is everything we've talked about so far has been kind of generally legal, right? I mentioned to you the Mm -hmm. fact that I heard of a guy who started a business, I guess a week ago, since this thing is weeks old, where he has ChatGPT write children's books. Mm -hmm. And then he has it write the Amazon advertising campaign. And then he advertises the books that ChatGPT wrote on his Amazon or eBay storefront or whatever it is. And he's selling kids books written by ChatGPT, marketed by ChatGPT. And he's doing this in a basement somewhere by himself. Right. That is also a little creepy, skeevy maybe, but it's still legal. Mm -hmm. Right. What about the illegal stuff that can be facilitated by this? What about the governmental potential, the kind of enemy state sort of rogue state potential of stuff like this? Uh, Yesterday, it came out that um, not not Tencent, the other Chinese big company was it Dai Dai Daiwo? I forget the name of it, but anyway, the the oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, so that, one, yeah. that they are um, coming out with their ChatGPT mm-hmm. like in three months. Um, now, people who are critical of the the Chinese approach to things would say, mm-hmm. well, they just waited to see it, and then they, you know, they're going to copy it and come out right. with their own version, right? But imagine rogue states or whatever, I don't know, playing around with this stuff. Like mm-hmm. what are the implications of that in the wrong hands? I mean, a lot just because that's already, I mean, we don't have to really think about it that far out. I mean, that, that already happens, right? There's a lot that's been done um, uh, to be able to try to influence uh, thought, government, influence elections. So that's already a case. I mean, this just makes it much more sophisticated. But do you think it's the kind of thing that once everyone is imp- using it, then it kind of neutralizes itself? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I think it just makes you better able to respond to whatever yeah, the threat is. So, right? It's like nuclear, same thing. It's like, well, yeah, we're, we, you know, there's a lot of nuclear warheads, but we'll create, you know, something to detonate the nuclear warheads yeah. before they hit. And then you're now building rockets after rockets after rockets, and you're just hoping nobody presses the button. Maybe yeah. in that way. Yeah. I yeah. Guess so. Yeah. Um, cause that's a part that really, you know, if you, if you want to think about something that leads to that singularity, mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, could definitely accelerate it. I think let's, let's kind of end the discussion here, Jesus, on a practical level for business leaders, right? People who are in positions of authority, maybe over companies or whatever it may be, how should they view, I've got some opinions on how they should view Mm-hmm. Chat GPT. I don't know if you do, but just some practical oh, things. I'm curious, yeah, I'm curious to hear yours. I'll, I'll have a POV on it. Well, so one of them to start is that I don't think, I think the rule of the day is proximity. So 
I don't think that understanding of these sort of broad AI consumer available interfaces like ChatGPT and maybe there will be others, at least in China and maybe other countries, is something you can delegate. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's how many times have we seen this in corporate settings where there's some new thing, a new, you know, all the kids are doing this TikTok thing or whatever, mm-hmm. and it gets sort of delegated to some committee or some, you know, the right. creatives are playing with their new toy. I think that that is a strategic error mm-hmm. um, with something like this. I think it requires like people seriously taking a look at this personally as leaders and not outsourcing or delegating that to somebody else or some random committee somewhere that studies the new stuff. You know what I mean? Right. And that happens. Maybe it happens more in media where we come from, but it does happen. So I, would I think say that was a lot. Yeah. And I, th- I think this is one of those things where you have to like, like look into it. You have to understand it and see if there is an applica- application to you or at least how it like take a stance. Like, is this the kind of thing that helps grow your business, grow your intelligence within your business, help facilitate work? I mean, we know that by doing some of this, you could definitely displace like employees and save costs. Maybe that is an important thing for for you in the point of where you are in that stage. But I, th- I think that the wrong answer is to clear, just just ignore it. You know, I think that is the wrong answer. And, and I think I probably have a very similar take on this, which is this is the kind of thing that feel like it needs to be experienced to be better understood. Uh, and if I was, you know, I, it's, it's funny because it makes me maybe rethink how my, my, stand, my own personal stand that I've taken on it, which is I've been kind of a little bit of a wait and see live it on the side to figure out like what is it exactly and whether or not we want to be leveraging that is to maybe think of more from the perspective of like, okay, what is the potential use case now versus what they could be in the future? And is this something that at minimum we should be very aware and at least take an educated decision as to why you may or may not choose to actually uh, lean into it versus just simply ignoring it or think it's going to go away. It's just, it's just not, not the case. I think the other thing to think about, um, like with a lot of things that have had social impact is to start thinking of the sort of ethical framework that you want to view this technology through. Right. Mm -hmm. So just like we had, you know, the black lives matter movement in 2020, the George Floyd murder in 2020. And all of a sudden, a lot of companies decided to work in some, you know, certain statements into their corporate policies and all this other stuff, Mm -hmm. but it happened reactively. I think there's a chance here to get ahead of that. Just as a really brief example, there's been a number of school organizations, individual principals and otherwise, who have actually updated school policies, right, to include references to artificial intelligence, specifically ChatGPT, as it relates to exams, test taking, all that. That's like a simple example of what I'm talking about. But they're like, okay, we see this. In the business world, this would be an existential risk to our business model. So we're going to take a step. We're going to go out there and say, this is, we're taking a stand on this consistent with our values. We don't believe that homework turned in that's artificially generated counts. Therefore X is going to happen. And some of the the things that they've suggested are like really big deal. Like you get expelled, like no appeal kind of right. thing. Right. Well, I mean, part of it is like, I, I get what they're trying to do, which is like make the, make the, the, like the punishment so severe that people won't even think about doing it. Right. But this is, I mean, don't you think it's like, you know, bringing a, a knife to a gunfight? Like you're, you're having schools trying to figure out how to like even identify. And I guess in ways if it feels too sophisticated, but like, what's to say like, hey, I want you to write this paper, but do it in a, in a way where it looks like a 10 year old wrote it. You can. That's my point. Well, so, here, here's so, the thing. So the, like, the, the apps can catch the that that one though. The apps can catch you telling it to write dumb or lower uh-huh. lower level. But what they can't catch is you modifying what it gave you. 
Right. Which is, which is like, come on, how long is it going to take for them to modify it? Right, right. But my point is making some, looking at your current, whatever it is, ethical framework for your business and taking this into account. Another one mm. might be, maybe you're in the business of giving grants to nonprofits. Mm-hmm. I read an article in the New York Times that said that one of the use cases for this is just have it write these sort of endless grant letters for mm-hmm. like every grant that's available. Well, maybe your position is if you art- artificially um, uh, use artificial intelligence to submit a grant application, it's automatically declined or automatically right. denied. Right. Now you still have to catch now, it. Now you, now you, but you really have to now like really be thoughtful about that. Like really be yeah. thinking about making sure that... Uh, um, yeah, that you're that you are like screening for that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. And you're right. I mean, someone could just literally turn around and be just like, "Cool." Yeah, I mean, think about that in lobbying too. The article makes that point too. It's like you know, a lot of this stuff is writing papers and right. thought leadership, and you know, policy positions and amicus briefs and all that. Well, it can do all that. So right. you can just flood the universe with amicus yeah, briefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, for sure, for sure. Know? I told you I asked it for legal advice the other day, right? Did you? Did, did I tell you this story? <laughs> no. How did, was it? I mean, I don't know because I'm not a lawyer, but you know, to <laughs> your this, point this about the single pretty, source, pretty reasonable. <laughs> this is really quick, and then I, I want to hear your sort of parting business thoughts <sighs> before we get to courage or cringe, which I haven't prepared for. But anyway, uh-huh. um, I asked it uh, about the implications of not showing up to a hearing that I have coming up. Oh yeah, in, yeah, you did tell me this. Yeah, yeah, I told yeah, you yeah, the yeah. story. Where, you know, my counsel had suggested that you can or can't, you, you don't have to. It's nice if you do, but you don't have to, right? Right, right, right? And so I asked it that. I said, in California, this type of case, this type of hearing, blah, blah, blah. What are the negative, imp- what are the implications? I didn't say negative. What are the right, implications, implications of yeah. not showing up? And it gave me a laundry list of them, right? Of like, well, you know, one of them is that if you're not there in person, the judge mm-hmm. can decide that you're not that committed to this case. It's a way to look at your, uh, you know, your legal opponent right. and understand their tactics. So it yeah, can help yeah. you better prepare for your thing. I'm like, you know, my lawyer, and he's a really great lawyer, but he had answered the question legally. Like, do I have to be there? No, you don't have to be there. But that's not really me. That's not, that's that's not, not what that's I was not asking. The actual question. Yeah, that wasn't the actual yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, anyway. My point is that I think some review of whatever your policies, your business rules, your, you know, in keeping with your values needs a fresh look in the context of some of this and maybe more important in some fields than in others. But I'd say that as, as a piece I, of I think you need advice. to think about this. What are all the implications, either how they help accelerate your business or to protect your business from this. Mm. And your business can be an organization that gets into a school, right? How do you protect it? And also, how do you leverage it? How do you use it? How do you help support, like use it as a potential way to give more, more access to data to teachers to be better prepared, to be able to kind of elevate some of the work that they're doing. It's not, it shouldn't, I don't think even in school it should just be seen as a negative thing. Just like, just the same way that search isn't just a negative thing, mm. right? There was value to that. Normally we were able to start using search in the classrooms and having your laptop in a classroom with internet access, like that is now a positive thing. It's not necessarily always a negative thing. So I think the initial one reaction is is maybe fight against it, and then there there comes a moment of having to adjust to this being part of the new normal, and then how to incorporate this also as part of one of the tools that you have in your tool set to be able to better educate uh, children mm-hmm. or run your business for that matter. Or run your business, absolutely. Anything? Any other thoughts? Or no, no, no. Let's do tips, uh, tips and tricks. No, right. I'm definitely not the person on this one. I would just say, look, like with all these things, it's been I've been I've been so interested with myself in this case why I've had the reaction that I've had, but. 
it's it's always a good reminder that when you're having a kind of negative reaction that way, like to really like sit back and kind of think about why, like mm. what is it about this that triggers you or makes you feel like different about it, mm. and uh, and then you know kind of come to terms with those things and then move forward. Um, want to do a courage or cringe? Let's do it. All right, you're going first. I'm going first. So I actually did find I do have one. Yeah, you it's did? a courage. Okay, yeah. okay, I have a courage as well. So I'm nice. pick the same one. Um. We won't. I think uh, is uh, <laughs> so. My courage is a little bit multi-layered. Okay, one is that I am really excited about this upcoming Super Bowl. I think the matchup that you have between Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles is going to be like really awesome to see these two teams like come to life. Uh, one of the courage that I do have is that it is, I think, really exciting to see these two uh, quarterbacks, both African American playing Super Bowl at the same time as Black History Month uh, in a league that has struggled with representation. Um, and of course, at a coach level, which is, they still have. But even at a quarterback level, that was, it was you know, it wasn't that long ago where that was also a problem. Yeah. So to see how much it's progressed, I think it's kind of nice. And the other thing which I think is very courageous, at least me, is that it's Patrick Mahomes, man. Like, I'm so impressed with that guy. I, I was, I've always been Just a little bit of a hater. it out. I've been always been a little bit of a hater with him. I don't no, know why. I love him. And I always thought that he, you know who he reminds me of a little bit? Mm. This is going old school, is uh, Cunningham. Yeah. Randall Cunningham, right? Like, a guy that was super athletic, big arm. He could throw the ball. He could just, just sling it. But it. he was just moving and around. He could run, too. He could run, but he was always kind of getting hurt and kind of always like, and my worry with Mahomes was always that he's too much of a magic man and eventually magic runs out. But to his credit, like they've continued to find ways to pull it out, even while hurt. So I was watching the last game and just like at all with this guy. I'm like, this dude is just like gutting it out. This is like the most gutsy performance that I, I think he's had. Uh, and I'm really excited for him, but it also was like me being... <laughs> Recognize that I was being a hater with him, and just like finally giving his due. So that's good. Well, I think it's. I, I'm just excited about the Super Bowl, and and I, and it, it it is nice to see these two teams. I think with great fan bases, and um, yeah, I'm excited with that. You got a pick? Uh, I it's it's with Philadelphia. What's interesting is like I put them in the same category. Like I've always thought that okay, this week is, is going to fall apart. This, okay, it was, it's been all kind of a nice run, but is this is the week? And you know what? They haven't. They haven't. Even, they yeah. haven't. But I think after the performance of this of this past weekend with Mahomes, I just think that he is in a path of destiny right now. I, I, I just don't think that Mahomes by himself is enough to beat the Eagles. That's my issue. And Mahomes doesn't have his his whole wide receiver core yeah. is banged up. Yeah. He's banged up. Now, um, Jalen Hurts is banged up too a little bit. Yeah, so. Yeah. I think the Eagles that, are going to win. And I'm not happy to say that. I want yeah, the Chiefs to win, yeah, but I yeah. think the Eagles are going to win that. That's a good one, Jesus. All right, so um, here's my courage. Uh -huh. My courage is for Pope Francis, um, who is currently in the Democratic Republic of Congo. He landed in Kinshasa there yesterday, and he delivered a speech. I'm just going to read one quote because I actually tweeted this out earlier today. Hands off the Democratic Republic of Congo. Hands off Africa. Stop choking Africa. It's not a mine to be stripped or a terrain to be plundered. And of course, you know, people receive that very well. And he's referring to all of the resources, a lot of them, frankly, that go into making lithium batteries for electric cars and other things. Mm. And the way that Africa has been used as like a 7-Eleven for the world, right? To go there and just grab stuff 
and, you know, not leave behind Mm -hmm. positive impact for the communities that are there. It's something I noticed both times I was there, how much, how many logos, how many in one, one of the trips I took to West Africa, there was um, like, if you saw a, uh, like a public restroom or any kind of facility, it was an ad for Coca-Cola. Like, and so the exchange is, we're going to give you a bathroom, but you're going to have it look like a Coca-Cola billboard. <laughs> that attitude is what I'm referring to. Yeah. And it's even worse, frankly, in some other, some other countries have an even worse approach mm. to this pollution. I mean, all kinds of yeah. stuff. And the people there are the ones that are hurt. Doesn't mean Africa doesn't have bad stuff. They do. They got a lot of issues they need to work out themselves. But just the way that we've thought about Africa is just not right. And to see a world leader and somebody at that level, um, you know, speak of some of the things that are going on in Africa, I thought that was really great. Well done. Yeah, and so that's my courage for the week. That's a good courage. Well, it's back to be with you, my friend. Good to be with you again. Hopefully we can keep this uh, streak alive in person, in person. Where are you next week? Uh, The Congo? No, in uh, Phoenix. In Phoenix. On Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday. So I think we should be still. Yeah, we'll still be okay. We'll be a Super Bowl prelude. prelude. Yeah, there you go. All right. Beautiful. Well, if you're listening to our voices, my friends, that means it's time to follow the show to subscribe uh, and share this episode with a friend. Help the show to grow. We are happy to be with you in 2023. We'll see you again next time on Unsiloed. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.